0: Today's episode
1: of Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app you can also listen at gotomeeting.com/tips that's gotomeeting.com/tips and welcome to another edition of hoops adjacent i'm david aldridge Quarantined in D.C. with the rest of the world. Uh, in
2: L.A., my man, Waz bray Waz, what is up, buddy? I'm good, man. Can't complain. Yesterday was literally the nicest day ever here in Los Angeles. And I thought to myself, what an absolute waste. <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: what you mean. It was nice here in D.C. too. But want to get right to it because we got a special guest this week. And this is a guy, I'm going to tell you all this story. And, and he knows it's true. Charles Barkley is basically the reason I worked at Turner sports for 14 years. You know, when ESPN and me parted ways, as they like to say in 2004, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And then all of a sudden TNT was calling saying, we want to meet with you. We want to talk to you. And I know the reason why that happened is because Charles Barkley said, you need to hire this brother. And I will always be in his debt for that because I had a great run at Turner and love the people there and still do. So Chuck, Welcome to the show, man. Hope you're doing well. How's everything going?
3: Oh, uh, man, I appreciate the love, uh, man. It's going good, man. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm I'm smart enough not to complain. You mm. know, I just feel bad for all these people out there, man. Uh, this thing is awful. Uh, I want everybody to please keep their distance, stay safe, and bless their families. But you know, this thing gonna be ugly for a long time, da. I mean, you know, a lot of these restaurants are not gonna reopen. Mm. You know, yep. and then even when even when they reopen, people ain't gonna have any money to go out and eat. Right. right. So these, uh, I just feel, I just feel great sadness. Like I said, I ain't gonna complain. I'm stupid. I got enough common sense to like, yo, man, your life is good. Don't say anything stupid about complaining. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, my my thought, my thoughts and prayers are with to, to the people out there.
1: Chuck, I want to ask you. You know, you took yourself out out of action there. You know, right before the tournament started, and you were a little worried. You weren't feeling good. And how are you feeling, man? I know you didn't. You tested negative, but I just wonder how you're feeling.
3: Yeah, man, I'm good. I, I'm really good. You know, I I, I didn't. Uh, I, I I never thought I had the thing. I just, you know. So what happened was, you know, I I bought a vodka distillery in Birmingham, Alabama. Shout out to Red Mike. Right. Uh, so I bought a vodka and gin distillery. So I was just, I had a weekend of parties letting everybody know that, you know, it's Alabama owned, operated, got a woman CEO and I wanted to own a business in my home state, uh, in Birmingham. So I just had a weekend of none but drinking and just social butterfly. And then I flew to New York, uh, to do Colbert. And by the time I got to Atlanta, I was mentally and physically exhausted. And I'm like, I better not take any chance. because I didn't want to infect Ernie, Kenny, and Shaq. And I right. tested, and it, it, but the thing that was crazy, I didn't get my results for ten days. Is that right? Damn. So I was stuck in my damn condo for ten days. I thought I was gonna kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't want it. Like I say, I was like, because you know, if uh, so, uh, if anybody saw me out, they'd be like, Charles Barkley got the virus and he's out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right, right, so yeah. I'm
3: like, uh, I, the only good thing about my, my, my lockup, I was at the, I've got a condo at the Four Seasons in Atlanta. So at least I was locked up in a hotel. So that was at least the only <laughs> good thing about it. Right, so I got right. plenty of room service. I got plenty of room service. I'm never going to eat room service again in my life after this <laughs> event. But you know, man, uh, I, I my team came back. So I finally got a chance to come to Arizona and I've been out here and you know, David, I really use this as a reboot on my life. Yeah, you know, because like I think this is a very dangerous time for a lot of people. Sure. You know, you know, I've obviously, uh, the first thing I did, I sit down and made up a list. I'm like, okay, Chuck, you like to drink, so nice. you can't drink. <laughs> right. So I said, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> so I so I don't drink except on Friday and Saturday. Wow. Is that right? You know, I like to drink. Oh yeah, because I, I could drink every day. You know that. Yeah. So 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 I did. I said to myself, okay, you're only gonna drink on Friday and Saturday. And then I said, okay, that's the first thing I wrote down. Only drink on the Friday Saturday. I don't even count Sunday as a weekend. I'm only gonna drink on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. I said the second thing. I said you drink twenty Diet Cokes a day. That's gosh to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I said, "Man, you asking a lot of yourself." <laughs> uh, so, so I did. I haven't had any diet coke. Wow! And I said, that, but the third thing was, I said, "Yo, man, you got to get your fat ass in shape. You man. got to do something." And I bought, I, I bought myself a bike. I've been riding an hour, uh, minimum of an hour, hour and a half a day. Okay. I've been lifting weight. I've been lifting. Pretty much every other day, but right. you know this is a, a wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah. I think when this thing is over, people gonna have to look. Hopefully, they do it during this time because, DA yeah, you can't do nothing, man. Right,
1: right. Uh,
3: because, because life, life is passing you by.
1: Yeah, no doubt. You know, no life doubt. is
3: passing you by. You cannot, you cannot do nothing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna use this time as a positive, plain and simple.
1: Let's bring DA into the conversation here.
2: Welcome to Who Comma Is, is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and just like the bolts and his bracket, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is
1: great.
2: <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. David, David Aldridge.
1: Oh, he's totally playing. Him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then yeah. they their lungs out in
2: front of everybody on TV. <laughs> Michael was not your friend? It was in there. Bosnie, So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies. We can't pay for the charters for the water move. Oh, no. In <laughs> Iowa. Hoops Hoops. A Jesus. Welcome to Hoop. 5, Jake. We have ignition. Well, Chuck, first of all, I want to say that, you know, when 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 people get regular square jobs, they hire recruiters, and those recruiters take a percentage of, like, you know, sort of their income for, like, sort of a finder's fee. I think DA owes you a check <laughs> for what happened over at Turner. No doubt.
3: You know, one of the things that me and DA and all the brothers and sisters talk about, you know, When you become a successful black person, especially in any field, you got to bring as many brothers and sisters along with you as possible. Because it's always, even in our field today, it's always been the good old boy network. Yep. So when I got in a position where like, hey, uh, when I got when I got a position of power, I'm like, hey, I really worry about diversity. First of all, you can't go in early as the angry black man. Say, hey, I need a yeah. bunch of black people hired around yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. You they got the, they're gonna label
2: you if you do that.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't want to be the angry black guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs>
3: but I prefer to fight the battle from the inside out. It's just, yeah. say, hey, I want y'all to think about this. We need some black women here. We need some black men here. Uh, because and DA knows this, and he's been in the business. Like, the talent is black, but no p- positions behind the scenes are black. That's right. <laughs> that's and that's right. one of the reasons, one of the things that I really wanted to, to talk to Turner about. And they've been amazing to me. I think we are okay. a very diverse company. Absolutely. But also, like I say, a lot of people don't understand. Like, you see a lot of black people on television in certain fields, but they're not the norm behind the field. Uh, excuse me, behind the scenes. And, uh, that's the one thing when I, I've been a term for 20 years now. And after I got in and kind of made my way, I was like, Hey guys, I need, I got some things I need to discuss with you. I like to say, I'm not telling you what you got to do. I just want you to consider this. I remember having Mm -hmm. this, I remember having this conversation with my financial advisor. And he's this old white guy from the South. He's like a father to me. Uh, I love him Mm -hmm. like a father. He's been like a father. So I sent him down one day. I said, hey man, I need you to hire a couple of black people around here. He says, What do you mean? I said, I need you to hire a couple of black people around here. He says, mm, You right. think I he says, You think I'm racist? I said, Oh, I know you're not racist. I said, But you do what white people do. Uh you hired your son, <laughs> right. then you hired a family friend, mm-hmm. and then you hired another family friend. And I says, When I talk to my white friends about uh, inclusion and diversity, I says, yeah, listen, those fools who run around with the Klan and not, they just <laughs> idiots and fools. I don't know, they, they. I said, but I said, what I try to, when I meet mean good white folks, I said, hey, I want mm. you to just think about them. And he says something that, that's very profound. I use this when I'm talking about conversations like we're talking about now. He says, I never thought about that before. And he says, that's a great point. And that's the thing, when I talk to Turner, I say, hey, just think about it. I'm not going to tell you what you got to do, because like I say there are a lot mm-hmm. of great folks out here. They're not racist. First of all, there, are, there is racism. Always has been, always will be. But my guy's like, oh, I need to. Uh, I open up doors for him, and like I say, he's been my financial advisor over 30 years. I love him like a father. But you know, just talking to him about stuff like that was important and significant to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You always have been very, up, you know, very direct about things like that, you know, and that's never been something that you were worried about perceptions on any side. Right. I mean, you know, you've gotten you caught hell from black folks and white folks. So.
3: Well, but, well, because that started uh, in my third year, I want to say second or third year in Philly when I was becoming a star. Yeah. Any person, any person think they can make everybody happy is crazy. Right. Any, any anybody who think they can make everybody happy they're gonna go crazy and like i say i my first couple of years i was learning to get be a good player in the nba and get myself in shape but once i became a star people started asking me my opinion i think yeah. that was a, i think that was <laughs> i think that was my 3rd year and then i said the same be bullshit that every other jock in the world says Oh, I don't watch TV and I don't listen to the radio. I'm like, oh, please stop it, please stop it. Of course what what the hell else do you do? Of course you watch the news right. and you read the newspaper right. and you listen to the radio. and you start hearing things about what you said, and you're like, that's not what I meant to say. so you give it yeah. to the, you give it to these fools and jackasses on TV and radio. And they try to you, – you see it all the time, even today. They say, well, he said this, but this is what he meant. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay, this is how this thing works. Yeah. So I said, i tell you what, from this day forward, I gave you a perfect example. I give you a perfect example. So two of my good friends back in the day were Darrell uh, and Leonard Dykstra. So I'm watching TV right. one day, and I know these guys, they play for the Phillies. And one day – and these guys will say this is, You know, we just got to get better as a team. We got to be more accountable to each other. Uh, We got to work harder. We got to pay attention in meetings and things like this. And I hear the announcer come up and say, these two guys, they're just great leaders. They're just great leaders. That's why we love them. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lenny Dykstra?
3: (laughs) no, 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 this is before he was going crazy. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is before he got all steroid out and went crazy. <laughs> so, so I repeated, I repeated the exact, I looked at it again and again, and I repeated the exact same thing. Because I wanted him to say Charles Barker. Because at this point, the team has starting to be mine.
0: Right, right.
3: So I repeated exactly what those guys said. And by the time I got home, the headlines was Barkley bad Mouth teammates.
4: <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> I said, what the hell just happened between that little 20-minute drive? No. <laughs> hey,
3: hey, hey, guys, I'm pumping myself on the chest. Right. <laughs> you know, because I'm saying, like, these guys going to say, I can't wait for them to say Charles Barkley is going to be a great leader for the team <laughs> going forward. I, turned, I started listening on the radio on the way home. like Breaking news, Charles Barkley talks about the Celtics, And I'm like, wait a minute. Those guys yesterday were great leaders. Chuck, what do you think
2: that disconnect is between how you might have delivered the message and maybe Lenny Dykstra and a couple of those other Phillies guys. What do you think was missing there with the translation?
3: See, one of the reasons I don't like the press is they play favorites. Mm. And it, it DA knows this. DA yep. knows this, but like mm. the press, if they like you certain, because first of all, it's, it's certain guys, it ain't the media. It's mm. certain guys who, who write the articles or who get the most time on television if they like the guy, if the guy did every interview, every, hey, if the guy did every interview they wanted to do, yeah. if some guy told him, "No, I ain't got time for you today," mm-hmm. or I was in a bad, uh, or, or some guys in a bad mood, they get to dictate whether they like you or not by what they say about you. Right, that's true. And so, so I was going through this thing. So I was becoming my third year. I was becoming a star, and it was like Doctor J was starting to fade,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and. The press start, so this time, I think that was the first time I made the All-Star team like my third year. So yeah. the press started coming to me, this one reporter, uh, Stan Hockman, that's his Stan name. Stan Hockman, Stan Hockman, sure. So he wrote this article about this big mouth third year kid <laughs> who should shut the hell up and let Dr. J still
0: right.
3: be the leader of the team. And first of all, you know, I don't get caught up into at the time, I'm like, dude, y'all coming to me asking me questions because <laughs> cause Dr. J is on his last leg.
0: Right.
3: And now I'm I'm becoming a star. You guys coming to me, I ain't trying to, because Dr. J has been great to me. Even to this day, he's been great mm. to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And you guys are coming to me asking me a question and you're telling me to shut up and let Doc be the elder spokesman and the, the speaker for the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm called in no man's land. Right. And then that's when it all started. I was like, okay, I can't make y'all happy. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So then I said to myself, you know what? I'm gonna say my truth. That don't mean I'm always gonna be right.
0: Yeah.
3: And clearly, I've said done things wrong, obviously. But I'm gonna say what I feel like is my truth.
1: But you never, you never shut people out, though. That was one of the things I, I respected about you so much when I was when I was at the Washington Post before I went to ESPN. Was no matter what it was. You still talk to people. Bob Ford, who you know very well in Philly. You know, you no matter what Bob wrote, and he was the beat guy at the time, you always talked to him, you know, and you always had something interesting to say. Well,
3: I think it's important. And, and I hate a lot of the players today who – uh, you, you know this. Uh, well, I don't talk to the press on certain days. Chuck, right.
2: they're miserable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Or I'm not gonna. I'm I'm, I'm only gonna certain
3: talk to certain guys. Mm-hmm. I said, guys. Most of the guys are great guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, the major, major majority of the press are good dudes. So there are some guys out there who are just bad dudes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: But most of the guys are good dudes. And what I try to do is like, guys, we're in this thing together. Uh, So it it really comes down to just really, really winning and losing. Right. (laughs) Right. I I, I, I tell these guys all the time. Hey, man, when you win, we're going to say great things about you. Mm They're going to write great things about you. When you lose, I'm going to kill your ass on TV. Mm -hmm. That's how this thing works. It's nothing. It's nothing personal. Right. I gotta say, I can't get on TV and brag about you after you unlost every year, or you it <laughs> up the joint. This don't this this right. thing don't work like that. Right, right. No, uh, but so 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 like I say, but I never looked at the guys as adversaries. Mm-hmm. They they got a job to do, and I always felt like if I was somewhat if I was cordial to them, hey, listen, I, and I never got mad if I played bad right there. Yeah you know if but if if i thought they were over the top i went at them yeah because i went at stan hogg when i'm like yo man i didn't appreciate that article that you wrote uh, telling me to shut the hell up and it's first of all i love dr j he's been great to me Mm -hmm. but his like y'all came to me i didn't come to y'all and say hey charles give me your opinion on this y'all came to me because i was becoming a star yeah and you write this article bad mouth at me. I didn't appreciate it, but hey, it is what it is. I just had to get my piece across.
2: Yeah. Chuck, I want to ask you something related to that. Uh, Marcus Thompson, who's our colleague at the athletic, he always tells a story about, you know, there's two sides to the media game. <laughs> some people get players, some people get management and you know, what he's basically saying is like the black media guys, <laughs> Get to talk to players and the white media guys. Their sources are management figures. Um, is that and actually, ironically, he said DA is one of the people who do both. True. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you, like, when you were coming up, were you conscious of the idea that, like, you know what, these black dudes, I need to talk to them.
3: Well, first of all, I made a conscious effort to talk to the black dudes. And let's get one thing: don't say dudes, just say dudes. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one black dude in every city going back yeah, in my day. Right. Now. That's right. No, you right. There was no black dudes. No. There was no plural. Right. There, been, there might have been, That and, might, and first of all, it wasn't in every city, that's but true. there was only going to be one black guy. Right. And let I say, I'm a little, bi- and like I say, I'm very aware of the racial BS because I grew up in Alabama. I'm very aware. <laughs> that's the one thing, my. My grandmother, the greatest person ever lived, like, pay attention to all this. Yeah. You know, I know about Montgomery Selma, Birmingham yeah. Church bombing. Yeah. My grandmother, she made sure. So I started noticing it like, man, there's only going to be one. That's, and it, 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 and there's 25 reporters, but there's only going to be one black guy. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and then, and, and then when it and, and, and that was difficult. And then there was one black guy who was really nationwide. That was David Dupree. Right. -hmm. And and I and I made sure I went out of my way to talk to David Mm -hmm. Dupree Mm -hmm. because he was like the first guy with the USA today, right? Uh, Him and Roscoe Nansen, guys like that, right? uh, But like, if I ever saw a black face, I said, "Hey, do you have any questions for me?" Uh, Because first of all, they were never at the they were never at the front of the scrum, Mm -hmm. but i like, I never rushed. I said, "Hey, do you have a question for me?" And if anybody took it, like, I, I didn't care what they thought. Because yeah. my job, and I said it earlier, my job, once I became so successful, I have to advance advance uh, the black uh, uh, experience. Because if the black players, first of all, because there is a distrust, uh, there is a, a, a natural distrust between the media and players. Okay? And, and, to, and to piggyback on your question, very few black reporters have enough power. Even if a black player tell them something, they got to be careful running with it. Mm. (laughs) You you know, you got to be very careful running with it. Uh, But also you're you're right. The media drops stuff about players and coaches all the time. The hierarchy does it to the media all the time. I got this funny joke with one of my friends, Roy, Uh, Roy Green, great wide receivers. For the uh, Ari- uh he played in Arizona, people St. Louis Carter. We always joke around. I said, "Yep, my man, get ready to get fired." And I said, "Why?" I said, "Because they asked him about his job." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "And D A been in the business a hundred years, just like me." Right. Normally, right. Hey, no, hey, normally after games, they says, "Well, how was your offense? How was your <laughs> defense? How did this player play? How did that player play? How did the other team play?" But when they start asking you, hey, how you feel about your job security? <laughs> I said, hey, it ain't a matter if, it's just a matter of when.
1: You got that right.
3: I, I, said, I, I tell people, I said, when people start asking you about your job security, <laughs> the only thing you can do to say your job is win. But it's, if you don't win, it's just a matter of time. You got that right.
1: Chuck, there's, there's so much being talked about now. With uh, with Jordan's with the big documentary going on that's coming up this weekend, but I want to I don't, I want to talk about him. But first, I gotta ask you about one of the most under underreported and underappreciated guys who played with you, the Boston Strangler, Andrew Tony. Would you please tell people how good he was? I've
3: said this before. He was the best player I played with. Yep. Uh, and obviously Moses, who's who's like Moses, was like my dad. He's my father figure. He got me in shape, and the rest is history. Doc was great, and Bobby Jones, and Clint Richardson, Clement Johnson, and all those guys. Maurice, and, Maurice, and Andrew, but Andrew Tony. When I got to training camp, I remember calling all my friends. I said, "Guys, Doc, Doc was on a decline. He was older. Moses was on a decline." But I said, "Man, Maurice Chief was still playing at a good level." Uh, Bobby Jones was still playing solid. But I said, man, there's this dude here named Andrew Tony Y'all know him because he's from where we're from. Yeah. Andrew's from Birmingham. I grew up right outside of Birmingham. I said, oh. this guy is unguardable. <laughs> this guy is flat out unguardable. And he's the best player even, uh, I've ever played with. And he was flat out unguardable, plain and simple.
2: Yep. Chuck, I want to ask you about, you know, if you can take us back to those early days in Philadelphia. And you, you know, you mentioned Doc and Moses several times, but like coming into that situation as a young guy, like, you know, when you come into the league, you can get drafted anywhere. You know, like they could have sent you to Siberia, right? Um, but you ended up in Philly with some of the most professional level guys of that time. And obviously Dr. J is like, was a living legend even then. What, what do you think that impact was? Cause again, like, what do you think would have happened to you in your career had maybe you not been affected by, you know, some of the, literally the all-time greatest players?
3: Well, number one, thank you for the question. It was the best thing that ever happened to me mm-hmm. because be, like, one of the problems we have in the NBA today you know, the guys I you mentioned, Doc, Moses, Maurice, Andrew, Tony, Bobby Jones, Clement Johnson, Clint Rich, they were all like 35 or older. Mm-hmm. And we never talked about basketball except me and Moses. The rest of them talked to me, they taught me how to save my money. Mm. I remember the first time they took me dressed uh, they, and they, one day they grabbed me at the practice. They said, son, this is professional basketball. You can't dress like you in damn college. <laughs> you know, you know you, gotta know, you wear you wear you wear a warm up suit everywhere, right? <laughs> and I, I don't even, I don't even know I, I I I can't remember vaguely, but I'm not even sure that I even got my first paycheck. Hmm. So they take me to a store in Philly called Boys, which is like a high end suit place, and we go in there for about three hours. Hmm. They get me about ten suits. About five sports coats and jackets, and I can miss and match. The bill came out to be about thirty some thousand dollars. Oh my goodness, I, 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 dude! I, that's probably more money than anybody I ever grew up with made in their whole damn life a, a right. year. Excuse me.
0: Right. Right.
3: And I and I had to give my credit card. And it says thirty some thousand. I says, "Are y'all kidding me?" <laughs> I was I, I was I, I was in shock. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, because I, I I never I'm a rookie. I'm right. just like my first three or four weeks in the NBA, and they noticed that I was wearing warm-up suits. So like, dude, I ain't got no suits. Hell, <laughs> right? But it was the best thing. They taught me how to dress and save my money. But the most important person is Moses Malone. Mm-hmm. So me and Moses lived in the same condo building. Moses lived in the penthouse. So about <laughs> three weeks to a month into the season, I called him. I I said, Moses, can I come up to? the top and talk to you and He said, Oh young yeah, big fella. Come on up. I need to mm-hmm. talk to you too.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
3: go up and I said, Moses, why am I not getting to play? And Moses says, well, you're fat and you're lazy. <laughs> and I said, I said, what? He says, young fellow, you're fat and you're lazy. Mm-hmm. And he says, Charles, you weigh 295 pounds. You can't play in the NBA and be fat and lazy. And I said, what do I need to do? He said, he says, you got a lot of talent, but you can't work hard enough. To be successful, but you can't work long enough. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: He said, if you want to lose weight, I'll work with you. And this guy, who was already one of the greatest at the time, met me every day before practice, after practice. Mm -hmm. He said, let's get down to 285. He gets me down to 285, and now I'm obviously starting to work hard. He gets down to 275. And then I'm like, now I'm actually getting a plate. And actually, uh, so then he gets me down to 265. He gets me down to 250, and now I'm actually starting. And then he, we actually get down to 240, but I don't have any strength and don't feel good. He says, 250 is your playing weight.
0: Right. And
3: this guy, who's already one of the greatest ever, got me from 295 to 250 over like a two- to three-month period and made me a great player. And that to answer your question, and, and, and DA's been in the league there's guys who probably went to a bad team and he knows it. Who guys sure. like, no, they're not going to let you get in shit. they going to, because we've seen guys eat their way out the NBA. Sure. Sure. And I was so blessed to have Moses Malone, And I call out to, uh, even today when he passed, and one of the most bittersweet things in my life was when the eulogy at his funeral, because his family knew how much he meant to me. And I talked about it my entire career. And giving a eulogy at his funeral is one of the highlight, bittersweet moments of my life. And that man, I love him like a father. I miss him every day. Um, And so, to answer your question, man, going to the right team, getting the right coach, DA knows that too, being in a good environment. You know, Kenny always jokes around, so Bill Russell called uh, Coach Kenny like his first couple years in the NBA.
1: Right, in Sacramento.
3: And this, is, it, 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 <laughs> and this is one of my favorite Bill Russell stories. He's like a father to me also. Bill Russell's been a great mentor to me through year, through life, talking about issues uh, of civil rights and things like that. So Bill Russell called me one time. That's how we became friends. So uh, first of all, if you know Bill Russell, he don't speak often.
4: Mm-hmm. So I
3: get this. I get this weird call from a 206 number. I'm like, mm, I don't even, other than this Garrett Payton, I don't even know anybody <laughs> in Seattle.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I, said, I said, okay, I'm going to check it. Okay. I answer the phone and uh, he says, Charles Barkley. I said, yes. Who's this? He says, Bill Russell. <laughs> I said, Hey, Mr. Russell, oh. how are you doing? He said, shut the hell up and listen to me. <laughs> said, okay. Mr. Russell. <laughs> he says, where did you grow up? I said I grew up in Alabama. He says you went to public school. I said yes, sir. I went to public school. He said did the cops ever come in your neighborhood? I said yo, they came a lot.
4: He says
3: oh, you had uh, you know your teachers? You had good teachers, didn't you? I said oh, I had great teachers. He says oh, now your black ass making a lot of money. You want to complain about taxes? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? Mr. Russell, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, I saw your black ass on TV talking about you paying high rate of taxes. He said, he said son, let me tell you something. Just because you're making a lot of money now, be happy you're making a lot of money. and They can tax you a lot. Yeah. But there was a time you were poor when the cops came to your neighborhood. You went to public school. Somebody else was paying those taxes, too. I said, you know what, Mister Russell, you're right. And he, from that day forward, that was in like the late '80s. I ain't never complained about my taxes. I'm glad to make a lot of money, <laughs> but man, I, I I I learned a valuable lesson. I'll never complain about my taxes. I'm glad to make a lot of money.
1: <laughs> Chuck, I, I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the, the 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 real talk you got from both Bill and from Moses because you and I both kind of shake our heads sometimes with the with what's going on today with these young heads that that don't understand the difference between coaching and criticism or tough love and criticism. And you guys certainly on the inside set dole out the tough love. Why, why do you think it is that, that that's happened, that you can't say real things to people anymore without them taking it personally?
3: Well, number one, they've been babied since that, that AAU crap. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the coaches all get all the good players together. and They're like, "Come on, let's just all get together." So they treat them like they they haven't really had any adversity. Yeah. So that that's a problem. You got the people around them who are all on the payroll. And da man, you've been in this thing. The the toughest thing is surrounding yourself with good people mm-hmm. because I'm going to pay for all the drinks. Right. <laughs> I'm going to pay for all the steaks. Right. Uh I'm gonna get everybody free Nike crap.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh I love Nike, but they're gonna get all the Nike stuff.
0: Yeah.
3: They're gonna fly around on my private jet. Mm-hmm. So no, so nobody around me is ever telling me no. Yeah. Nobody wants to tell the boss no. Yeah. Nobody ever wants to tell the boss no. So the first time a coach or 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 or, or, or say something bad about them, they got they got that attitude. Mm-hmm. They don't look at it like, you know, maybe this guy's trying to help me. I mean the system is a unique system. I mean, everybody starts kissing your ass <laughs> when you're a teenager. Right. Your high school coach, you know, very how many of high school coaches actually coaching you? They right. just glad <laughs> to have a great player on their team. Right. Right. You know? So so you ain't getting really good coaching unless you got a guy who ain't worried about his job. That's one of the reasons I I love John Thompson. Mm -hmm. John Thompson makes the best men in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, uh, he got that. The guy I forget who said that uh, about about Vince Lombardi. The guy said, yeah, he treated us all the same. Like dogs, right. <laughs> right. right?
0: Right. That's right. That's
3: right. <laughs> but if you but if you ever talk to Patrick Ewing, who's a great man, mm-hmm. Alonzo Mourning, who's a great man, mm-hmm. Dikembe Mutombo, who's a great man, John Thompson wasn't just trying to make them great basketball players; mm-hmm. he was trying to make them great men. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love John Thompson. He and, and one of the problems we have in the black community is, and, and one of the reasons, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm when I looking at my charity aspect of my life,
0: mm-hmm.
3: like when I gave the $4 million to historically black colleges, I told them, none of this money goes to athletics. It only goes to kids who want to do great academically.
0: Right.
3: You know, I said, listen, I said, guys, we as black people, we are so brainwashed by the media and television that our kids think they, the only way they can be successful through athletics and entertainment. Yeah. And we put all our eggs in those two baskets, not realizing that we can be doctors, lawyers, engineers. We can, I mean, the brother, uh, the, the surgeon general was a brother, Yeah, yeah, you know, He's standing behind that fool in the White House, but at least it's just your brother standing beside. Standing like, I love when they put this little thing up, the Surgeon General.
1: Right,
3: right, right. And, but I think that we get so many, like, our black kids are so brainwashed. Like, dude, I ain't no hater. Right. I would love you to go into the NBA. I would love you to go into <laughs> the NFL. Yeah. But that's like, that's like hit the gonna lottery. Right, <laughs> right. It's not going to
1: happen. Get your damn education. Yeah, yeah. I had this. I remember going to my my elementary school and telling the kids, "I would love to say that all you know, all you kids that want to be in the NBA are going to make it, but you're not." you know, most, you know, none of you are.
2: First of all, you're 5'8". Well, yeah. I was like,
4: you know,
1: get some, get some other dreams in your head besides what playing you basketball, you? you know, and, and it, but it's a it, constant it, it, struggle. It, 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 the, the, the
3: notion that you tell a kid, you do know it's easier to be a lawyer and a doctor than it is to make it to the NBA, right? Right, right. Was, I said, You know, there's a lot of doctors, but there's only 400 NBA players.
1: That's right. Yeah. And that number never changes. I, I, that, yeah, I number,
3: I said, it's a lot Hey, it's a lot of doctors out there but that's only going to be 400 and some NBA players every year.
2: Right. That's right. Chuck, what was you going to be if you didn't become a basketball player? What did you think you was going to, you know, even after you go to Auburn and you do all of these things?
3: Well, you know, that's a great question because the biggest regret of my life, and I've said this before, I wish that I had taken academics more serious. I got bailed out because of basketball mm-hmm. but my biggest regret was I was not a leader academically because it turned out great for me but it didn't turn out for anybody else good I went to college with yeah uh, it took it worked out good for Chuck Person wow. but but the other guys the majority of the guys their lives didn't turn out like mine yeah because you know cuz like we didn't take education seriously enough and that's one of the problems I have with this whole thing today when I talk to these young black kids. I say, yo, man, I ain't no hater. I want you to play in the NBA. Bless you, bless you, bless you. But, man, they paying – you're getting a free education, man. Take advantage of the system. Please take advantage. First of all, the system going to take advantage of you. They're going to play these games with or without you. Mm-hmm. But if they give you a blank check and say – we're going to pay for your college education. All we want you to do is dribble a stupid basketball, but we're going to let you go to class, and you you ain't got to do nothing but go to class and get a free education. When you get out of here, you ain't going to have no debt. Right. Man, you know how many people out here who already have made it in life or signed up for that who are still paying back college debt? Oh,
2: oh man. man, right. I know, I know somebody who went to law school in, um, what, 200 Gs? 200000 oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They graduated $200,000 in debt. Well, that's, that's most you kids know, now. I,
3: I, I, I got a great boss, and David, though, my boss, her name is Tara August. Yep. She's the head of talent at Turner Sports. She hires and fires everybody. And she's like a great friend and a great mentor. And sometimes she'll tell me, she says, yeah, I only got a couple more years to pay off my student loan. And I'm like, what? She's like, <laughs> Chuck, you know, most people have to, Borrow a lot of money to go to college. You just don't have any perception <laughs> of what it's like to be a normal person. Right. And she's one of the most successful black women in sports.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. And she's
3: still paying back. And she's still paying yeah. back her college loan. And I'm like, guys, we better start taking advantage of these free education for mm-hmm. real.
1: Right, right. Chuck, you, um, you were, I think, the best player on that dream team in '92. Um, and i think most people Thank you, brother. i think most people would agree with me on that so you had the inside scoop on the craziness of that team but you also had a great friendship with, with mj for a long time and you know there's a lot of mj nostalgia going on now so what what are two things or three things that you, that you take from your relationship with mike that you have taken from your relationship with mike In terms of it can be on the court or off the court, just in terms of the person he is and the competitor that he was.
3: Well, let me tell you this. So, you know, when I in in 1984, the the, the Olympic trials. Yeah. So they invited like the top really 120 players. And it's probably like 50 Hall of Famers later at least 50, Mm -hmm. and some of the greatest, really good players of all time. So they invited like 120 players. This is the Bobby Knight um, thing. Mm -hmm. So they invited – this is my first Michael Jordan collection. I tell people the story, not Mm -hmm. publicly a lot, but privately. So I said – so my coach says, hey, you got invited to the Olympic trials. Uh, I want you to go. I think – I want you to go there. I think you're the best player in the country, and I want you to prove it. So I said, coach, that's a nice compliment. He said, no, I really mean, I think you're the best player in the country. And I said, okay. So I go to the Olympic trials and they start, we start out at 120. We go to a hundred we go to 86. And it's like everybody who you ever played basketball in the last 30 years is there. Mm-hmm. And we go 80, 60, 40, 20. And I make it to the final 20. And by the night was never going to pick me on the team. He was just a prick. Right, Uh, great coach. I I respect him (laughs) as a coach, but he was a prick. I respect him as a coach because he graduates as players more than anything. But uh, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't treat treat me good. So, on the way home, it's me. uh, The final, not the final. The the twenty to sixteen is me, Terry Porter, John Stockton, and Carl Malone. Right. You were the Uh, last four cuts. (laughs) Yeah. So. (laughs) So, I go back to my. I go back to my college. My coach calls me and he says, "He says, uh, Charles, I talked to John Thompson. He goes, what did he say? He said you are the second best player there." He said, "I said, yeah, coach, I think I was." He says, "So you're telling me there's a ball
2: player better than you?" I said, "Coach, they're just black
3: dude. <laughs> and I that, it, when I said black dude, I I didn't mean black. Like I meant
2: like dark skin.
3: Like dark skin, brother.
2: <laughs> I said, I I said, said, Coach, let me tell you something.
3: I've never played basketball before with a guy this good.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. I said, This guy is. I said, and like I say, this is a who's who of everybody.
0: Yeah.
3: And I said, Let me tell you something, Coach. This dude, he's the most athletic. He cannot run everybody. He cannot jump everybody. He's tough as nails. He said, What's his name? I said, His name is Michael Jordan. And I said, we got to be pretty cool. I think he respected me because I, you know, I had only seen North Carolina from a distance on mm-hmm. television. Mm-hmm. I said, I said coach, let me tell you something. This guy, I said, this, this Patrick Ewing is a good player. I said, Wayman Tisdale is a good player. I said, but um, let me tell you something. Ain't nobody betting this dude, Michael Jordan. I said, I played against him for a week mm-hmm. and I, it, it was ridiculous. But that was my. I always tell people that's my first. I said that's my first Michael Jordan story. And now to, to fast forward to the NBA, we were great friends forever. I miss Michael. I love Michael. I wish him nothing but the best. He's the greatest basketball player ever. But obviously. Uh, he, he didn't take count to some things I said about his management skills. Uh, <laughs> and, and and that's unfortunate. Right, uh, That's unfortunate. But, but I got to do my job.
2: Hold on, Chuck. Hold on, Chuck. I, I'm talking to you today, and this is like we're having this great conversation. I find it very hard to believe that you couldn't convince Mike that you guys could be friends again. Your people skills are on a ridiculous level. I find it hard to believe that if you made it your mission to be like, Mike, Let's get over this thing that I think that you can make it happen, Chuck.
3: You know, you sound like some of my friends. (laughs) That can't happen right? because I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I would love to be friends with Michael because I can say he he was great to me for 20 some years. And I love him like a brother. He was like a brother to me. Yeah. Uh, But, but our last conversation, he was uh, not very happy with some things that I was saying about him on television Which my criticism. Number one will fair. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, have the Charlotte Hornets done any- anything of significance mm-hmm. since he's been the owner? Like that's not, you can go look at the record. Like it's not <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Wait, but let me ask you a question. Don't you have friends who
3: like, you 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 not sure how they're gonna react if you were yeah. honest with them, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Especially somebody on his level,
0: yeah.
3: Uh, and like I say, hey, I love the dude. He's the best I've ever seen, and it's unfortunate the way things went down. Uh, but I, I, I'm gonna always try to do my job. And actually, my criticism was about the people around him. Mm-hmm. Going back to one of our earlier parts of our conversation. Uh, I thought the people he had around him were too many yes men. That was actually my statement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I thought the people around him—they wanted the private jets. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted the steak dinner. Yeah. You know, they wanted like they, they were always going to be yes men. hmm So, but like I say, man, uh, I'm. Uh, I just I wish the guy nothing but the best. But like I say, I, I, I still think. Uh, I think I was in the right. Yeah, uh, I do. I do. I, well, let me refer I know I was sitting the right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but like I say, I, I'm always do my job uh, to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you have. And like I say, David knows that There's guys that David like and probably don't like. But mm-hmm. well, I can guarantee you, I know. I know Da enough. He's not fair. gonna bury a guy just cause he no. dislike him, yeah. and he's not gonna give a guy. And I don't think he'll give a guy a hall pass. Just because he likes
1: him. Right. Also. And I never understood that, Chuck. I mean, I always, I always tell people, you know, it's never personal. <laughs> you know, never, never just, personal. It's never personal. Like, it's not like I don't like you. And so I'm, but I can't lie. You know, I can't, you know. Cause, you cause, know? Because cause,
3: cause, cause, cause I tell people this. When a brother lies, he's gonna get fired. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's hey, exactly I right. Tell you, hey, hey. When a brother like, because we said some earlier, like a brother got to be really careful with what he runs with. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because if he bre- if he breaks the big story, and is
1: wrong. That's He's it. probably gonna get tired. That's it. That's right. That's it. You better be sure, and you better check
2: after you you're sure. Chuck, sure. <laughs> you
1: know?
2: so I want to ask you something about your playing days too. Um, you know, which and something that I do want to tell you, which is funny, is that. Um, you, you routinely on TNT, you'll kill analytics guys, but like, um, analytics guys actually love you, like, they actually think you're underrated. They think that <laughs> people don't celebrate the things that you actually did on the court enough, honestly, which is the ironic thing about that. But I, I want to talk about a different aspect of your game, not just what you did on the court, but like, you were really known as a guy who was scrap, who would fight, who was straight up not afraid to fight. I remember. Man, what year was that? That had to be like 97, maybe somewhere 90- in there with me and Shaq. Yeah. Yes, with you and Shaq. And I remember because I was only like, shit, man, I was like 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like Charles Barkley floored this dude. <laughs> 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 like, that's like, this is Shaquille O'Neal we're talking about. Were you always a scrapper? Like, were you always fighting hot? Where did you get this, like, this, just like MMA shit from, man? <laughs>
3: Well, I think realistically when you are six, four power forward, you don't have to fight a lot, Right. <laughs> you know, you know, so listen, first of all, I, I think even to this day, I'm the only person in NBA history who I've never played against a player who was shorter than me. Like mm-hmm. I'm always going to be the shortest guy. Right. Right. So you gotta, comp- you gotta compete if you're the shortest guy, but you know the Shaq thing. First of all, it' me and Shaq' fault. Obviously, he's a big old dude, and he's gonna have a huge advantage. So, my so you have to make these split second decisions. So, okay, so I throw the ball at Shaq. Uh, he throws the ball at me, and then he starts coming toward me. Then I'm saying, "Okay, it's twenty thousand people here, <laughs> right?" I got, to, I got to make – so my first instinct is, like, it's not – it ain't like we're going to fight for 15 minutes. Right, right, right. So I'm thinking, like, let me try to get him to the ground quickly. They're going to break it up, and nobody really going to throw no punches. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like if we were like, – I tell people, like, if we're in an MMA ring, yeah like, yeah, Shaq going to beat the hell out of me. But I'm thinking, like, okay, I can't let him just throw that ball at me in front of 20,000
2: people. No, you can't. You can't let that happen.
3: But 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 like I say, but also I gotta say, they're gonna break this thing up within yeah. five to ten seconds. Right. I only need so, to get so, I only need
4: to hold them yeah, for three so,
3: seconds. I, so I said, let me get him to the ground. <laughs> I, yeah, let me get him to the ground and they're gonna break it up quickly. So that was my MO
2: going in, like, uh oh. Well like I said, I had to make this. I said I can't let the two just throw a ball at me in front of twenty thousand people. <laughs> Was there anybody you was ever like, man? I don't, I don't really want to get into a scrap with that dude. Not really, because
3: I think that NBA players we're more lovers than fighters. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I, like, it, like, and there are some guys who, first of all, I, I, this is another thing. Anybody like to fight is stupid, anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because like, they're not going to pay you a lot of – this ain't hockey. They're not going to pay you a lot of money to fight. Right.
1: You got to play. You got to be able to play.
3: If you can't play, we don't care how tough you are. Like, you know, man, can you rebound, play defense, shoot a jumper? Mm-hmm. If your only talent is I can throw hands, no, no, no. We need actually players in the game. The yeah. other team put players out there. They're not putting fighters out
1: there. <laughs> you know, Ali used to have this saying, was. Black people scare white people more than black people scare black people. You know what I mean. <laughs> so, so you ain't really scared to fight nobody. You know what I mean. No, no. Like, right. like you might no, get you, no. you might get your ass kicked, but you're not scared. You know what I mean. Right. Like, no, you're not you're like, just like, okay, you just going to be a scrap. You, yeah, right. you beat
4: me up a little bit. I got the good shot in. Okay.
3: Right,
1: right, exactly. Hey, Chuck, I want to I want to ask you this before we go, man. Um, do you think the league needs to finish the season? And if so. What would you what what would the format be for your tournament to finish the your playoffs to finish this season?
3: Well, I tell you what, DA, this thing is scary, man. I I, I, I just I don't want to you, you got all these idiots and fools and jackass just throwing stuff up on the wall. One <laughs> of the reasons I love Adam Silver, Adam Silver says, Hey, we'll have this conversation May the first. Yeah. Because the, most doctors have said, like this week and next week are going to be the two worst weeks for this coronavirus. Right. I don't know the answer. Like some of this stuff is just stupid. Right. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, like, well, we're going to put the teams in a hotel for two months. I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, who wants to these kids? Well, you telling me these players can't see their families for two months?
0: Right.
3: I, I don't. I don't think the players going to go for that. Right. And then also, because they can't go out and eat. Right. Because then they got to worry about the virus out there. You know, then you have to eat room service every day for two, two, two months.
0: Right.
3: And then you got to worry about who they're around. Mm. If they're touching your your silverware uh, or the, the, the containers on your food. So that's another thing you got to worry about. I, I, I just, I don't know if it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just cancel this season. Mm-hmm. Uh And obviously it's going to come down to money. Right. Yep. What I think, like I say, if, if the perfect scenario would be, okay, guys. First of all, there's definitely – because the fans are out the window. There's not going to be a fan. Mm-hmm. Right. Because – uh, let's not even talk about football where you got 75 to 100,000 fans at a game. How are you going to test all those people coming to a, a confined space? Let's just take the NBA. Most arenas are seventeen to 20,000. How are you going to test those people? Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, the test every person would take – how what y'all have no, to start? People have to start
1: showing up at noon for a seven o'clock game. <laughs> yes, I have, right, mm-hmm. even if you have no fans, it's still you're still and talking about hundred, watch, hundreds, hundreds of people. You got to test
2: just to watch a basketball game. Like you want to sit around and get injected or like get your blood drawn. Or, like why would you want to do that? I just don't know how. Like I said, the players ain't gonna be like I can't see my family for
3: two months. I can't be around any. They can't be around anybody for too much. I don't know if the players gonna go for that. But think about it. But see, the the, the, the kicker though, David is, see, they ain't start missing no checks yet. No, nah, that's true. That's true. So that's true. this this thing, like I saw the NBA gonna pay them one more time. Right. Then right. I think things gonna get interesting out here. Right. <laughs> hey, because hey, listen. Hey, I don't like speaking for all black people, but at this particular time, I'm going to speak for all black people. When you stop paying us, that's when shit get real. Right. Hey, I don't like speaking for all black people, but at this particular time, I'm going to. Yeah, shit, shit don't get real when you start. Like, oh, well, we're going to stop paying you. <laughs> oh, no, no, we to see this kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly exactly when yeah, bank- so, so, so 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 let me tell you this. this is what I think the players make a lot of money the NBA and the owners make a lot of money and mm-hmm. we've been great partners forever right to me the perfect scenario like I say somebody everybody ain't gonna be happy Austin mm-hmm. ESPN pay the NBA and pay these players to the end of the season. And say, hey guys, put some of the, put a lot of that money back into the community.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Don't go out and buy no damn jewelry and cars and bigger houses. <laughs> right. Put that money back, especially especially if you can put it into the black community, because mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of these black small businesses are gonna really struggle.
0: Right.
3: Let's start. Like I say, you know, I I just made my fourth donation of million a million dollars to historically black college. Wow. Right. I would love to see some of these young black guys say, Hey, I'm going to donate money and put three or four students to a historically black college. Mm-hmm. Don't just waste the money. And everybody say, Hey, this is just, it's just a bad situation. We ain't going to worry about you guys being away from your family. We're not going to try to play with no fans. We just want to make a goodwill gesture. We're just going to pay y'all through the end of the season. Yeah. And, and, Let's see what happened in October when the season's supposed to start again.
2: Chuck, I want to ask you about because it's something that you mentioned about you know your your uh, your duty to go out there when you're doing the job to tell the truth. Um, there's a conversation that's happening online, and I do want to say to your credit, um, which I think is refreshing about what you guys do on inside, is that y'all not connected to the chatter online? You guys are like talking about what people talk about in real life, but. I will say there's a, this, there's a dialogue out there that says, well, you know, our ambassadors of the game, right, Chuck, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, um, the you know, the front facing people of the NBA a lot of times are ragging on the league and that it's not good for the league, for the ambassadors to be constantly complaining about the product. What would you say to those people who make that critique? Because, you know, it is your job to call it how you see it. But do you see it as your job to be an ambassador for the game, somebody who's trying to grow the game?
3: Well, you know, that's a great question. But it, 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 it's really a stupid point that those guys are trying to make. Are we supposed to get on TV or radio and say only positive things about bad playing, bad,
2: uh, bad teams? Now, let me,
3: uh, I don't want to be
2: personal. Well, hold on, hold on, Chuck. Hold on, Chuck. Before you go on, they're saying that a lot of it is like the NBA isn't as good as it used to be and those type of things. Now, I don't think that's your attack normally, but that's the complaint.
3: I think the problem with the NBA, we're getting too many young players. Mm -hmm. Listen, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Kevin Garnett are probably the three greatest high school players ever. Right. But now we got, we had guys coming out of high school who couldn't play there, Right. <laughs> like <laughs> that, that's the problem. And now it's like a hundred and some players undeclared for the draft. And there's only like 30, 40 spots available. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so my problem with that is like, and most of them are black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what are those young black kids going to do at 18, 19 years old? They can't make
2: it in the NBA. How are they going to be good husbands and fathers with no job and no education? Well, they're going to get a passport, Chuck. They're going to go to Uzbekistan. And- mm-hmm. you, you know what? You're only allowed two American players in some countries. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: The most You can't have more than a couple. Mm-hmm. So, so there's going to be a couple of those guys get jobs. Mm-hmm. But there's too many young black kids who are not going to get their education, who are not going to get a job. And see, that's my biggest problem with this whole thing as far as, you know, man, we don't have to take high school players. We don't have to make these kids stay in college and then they're – because, listen, we ain't never told a player, hey, stay in college. But like we told, oh, oh, Zion, you need to bring your ass to the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> hey, right. We won't tell you. Right. Because the reason people are going to tell you because their jobs are on the line. Of course. Yeah.
0: People
3: – a guy's got a guy's going to tell you like, yo yeah, man, you should probably stay in school. But if a guy's going to lose his job, he ain't going to tell you to stay in school. <laughs> He's going to say, no man, you bring your ass on to the NBA to save my job. Right. Exactly. But the problem we got, we got too many players. Uh, and let me say, I, I have a problem with the NBA G League. Mm-hmm. Uh, because number one, these guys will make a hundred thousand dollars, which ain't no money.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, uh, You know, you're probably going to have to get a place to live and things like that. So that $100,000, I think you're much better off going to college, Mm -hmm. getting good coaching, getting three square meals a day, at least being around other people instead of living in a house or a hotel by yourself, traveling to these small towns, playing against a bunch of guys who might kill you because they're really trying to get to the NBA. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right. you got an 18 year old kid who might make it. Who's supposed to be a lottery pick? He played against a 27, 28 year old guy who probably ain't gonna make it. Let's be <laughs> realistic. He's out there. He's out there trying to kill this little 18 year old kid who he's oh, read yeah. about all year. He's gonna be a lottery pick,
1: right? Hundred percent, right? Chuck, what, I, I, man, you've been you've been so gracious with your time, man. But I want to get want to get you out on this, man. You, there's never been a show like Inside. I don't think. Uh, before, thank you, before or since on any sports network or any network about sports, it's just it's amazing how how it continues to work. And I want to get you out on this: is why do you think it works so well?
3: Well, number one, thank you for the compliment. You know, Da, I think when people, if I when I try to explain it to them, I said, guys, you got to understand something. You know, because you've been doing this game. We're on from eight o'clock. To two thirty in the morning, right? And during the playoffs, we're on like really every day for thirty days and forty nights mm. from eight to two thirty in the morning. Right? We have reached a perfect balance of stupidity, funniness, <laughs> basket basketball, like. Nobody wants to talk about basketball from eight o'clock at night
4: (laughs) to two thirty
3: in the morning, (laughs) right?
4: Right. Right.
3: (laughs) And and so we figured out, like, okay, if 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 you want to talk serious basketball, that's fine, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to talk serious basketball for six hours. (laughs) If we can make you laugh, if we can be silly or stupid. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Like, I, I could sit there and diagram every play. Right. I can tell you what a pick and roll is or what's a hedge and who's going under. Right. Uh, I can tell you, oh, they're, okay, they're doubling from the top with the big guy or they're doubling from – the. The doubling from the bottom with the big guy, the doubling from the top with the little guy. Mm -hmm. And I said that's a big difference. It's a lot easier to see see over a little guy than a big guy. I could sit there for six hours and say that. Mm -hmm. And we'd have the boringest damn T V (laughs) show in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But we figured out like, yo man, make people laugh. And let me tell you something. If you don't realize, like I say, we're not doctors, we're not policemen, we're not firemen, we're not first responders. Mm -hmm. Shout out to all the first responders and all the nurses and the doctors out there fighting this virus. Thank y'all, thank y'all, thank Mm y'all. But I will say this, they are a lot more important and significant than we are. But let me tell you something, and everybody's realizing it now. Damn, man, we need sports. Yeah. Mm (laughs) Hey, we need sports, man. Mm -hmm. If I have to watch another damn Diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> <of swat people. laughs> hey man, shit, I am I am going damn nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey hey, shit's so bad. I watch Tiger King, and I'm like, oh <laughs> hell no! How the hell am I gonna get those hours out of my life back? went <laughs> to watch <the> Tiger King. <laughs>
1: But then you were you were killing Shaq you were killing Shaq for no one uh, exotic Joe though the other day. <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, hey, Shaq spent a lot of time with that Joe. <laughs> hey, 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 DA, yeah. and you know America
2: wants to know, right. yo,
3: man, how many times how many tigers did you buy from exotic jokes? How
4: many times did you go back and see exotic Joe?
2: Hey, Chuck, you see you see the homies he was keeping around him, man.
4: <laughs> oh
3: Hey, and, hey, hey, see, that's one of the things I hate about I uh, hate about being in the line like so we're talking to Ernie and Kenny last week. Yeah. We're sitting, we're sitting home mind our own business with <laughs> quarantine and chilling out. Right. All of a sudden, everybody want to know, Hey, what you guys doing on Tiger King? Right. right. What, what the hell is Tiger King?" <laughs> So then I had to go, like, hey, I'm, we just mind our own business. They put, they put us up there. Shaq went that place by himself, but they put the whole show up. Like, we went with it. Like, no, hell no. We didn't go to that That
1: was just Shaq by himself. Oh, man. But, Chuck, man, look, I appreciate it so much, man.
3: Hey, man, let me say this. Let me just say this before you finish, man. I, I know you've been a good brother. I'm proud of you, success. Uh, you did a great job at Aspen. You did a great job at TNT. I remember when we got all in motion when you told us you were moving on. You want to spend more time with your family. Yeah. I know you regretting that shit now.
1: <laughs> damn right. I was. I was. A, I, was a, I was saying, damn. Maybe I don't. I have a trip to Miami coming up soon, and something. <laughs>
3: Hey man, oh, hey, you know all my friends. Like, yeah, man, it's gonna be a lot of babies. I said, hell no, there's <laughs> gonna be a lot of babies. There's gonna be that baby. Be a you
1: got that right. <laughs> you got that right, man. That's why we stay on separate floors. Chuck, man, mm-hmm. man, love you, boy. Hey, man, thank- y'all keep doing. Hey, I
3: love you, brothers, man. Y'all keep doing man. your thing. Anytime y'all need me, reach out.
1: Man, thank of you, course. Chuck. Stay safe yeah. out there, bro.
3: All
1: right, man. Y'all be safe. Bless your family. Keep that distance. Thank you. All right. Talk
3: to
4: you
1: soon. So, yeah, wise, that's uh, that's my man. I'm telling you, he's, he's... He's my dude, one and only. He's my dude. That show only works because of one reason. That's two reasons. Ernie's the best. He Ernie's he the best such of all an time. Incredible
2: host. Right. Ernie's the
1: best guy of all time at that job. This period. Such okay.
2: an incredible. Like I compare him to like a great point guard. Like exactly. he's, you know what I mean. He's controlling the option, the offense. Like all right, we need to feed Chuck. All right, we need yeah. to feed Shaq. All right, we need right. to give Kenny. All right, go set a screen. All right, like oh, yeah. he's fantastic. No, he, at he's great,
1: but that show does not work and would not work if Chuck did not allow people to laugh at him and make fun of him, it would not have worked. And he's the, he is the first superstar. Now others have done it since, but he was the first one and he's a superstar. Was this guy, y'all don't get it twisted. Chuck was great. Okay. (laughs) He was a great player to let people clown on him and make fun of him and talk about his weight and all that sort of thing. If he had been sensitive about that and said, no, y'all can't make fun of me. Show wouldn't work. It would not have worked. And because he allowed that to happen, that's why they were able to get from six hours of basketball to having fun and making jokes and doing things that make that show what it is, which is the best ever. So, man, I just want to thank Chuck for being on the show and want to thank all of y'all for continuing to check us out and seeing us, uh, listening to us on Apple podcasts and all our other uh Other podcast outlets. We're still in a 90 day free trial at The Athletic. So check it out. You get uh, two more months uh, to see all of our content. And hopefully you subscribe after that. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. The comma is Adjacent. adjacent.